Mm-hmm. I said, what's going on out there? This wiretap guy is probably for video production. You know, they do these videos. Right. And the police say, well, that's not, you know, a play gun, a real gun. I was going out there to say no. Mm-hmm. And I went, well, I said, oh, my God, that was really close. That just, that was okay. okay. What's your name, ma'am? exact same conversation we've been having since since I was in high school. I was a junior when the Columbine shooting happened. I was part of the first generation that saw routine school shootings. We have now produced the second school shooting generation in this country. We dare not allow there to be a third. Something is broken, if it is even possible, for the same debate around the same solutions that we all know are the right thing to do. They won't prevent every incident, they won't save every life, but we know what to do and it has not happened. Thank you. This is the emergency broadcast system. This is not a test. Repeat, this is not a test. This is our emergency broadcast system. Broadcasting live from a Chinese-made megaphone high atop Sioux Nation. I am Corey with Clemens and May. How are you, uh, how are you gentlemen doing this fine Monday evening? First good, uh, we already saw May uh, get yelled at, so uh, check the Patreon content. <laughs> yeah. Everything's good now, though, May? Everyone's happy? Um, let's just, hope just... so. Well, okay. <laughs> let's hope so. I just sweep real quick. Had <laughs> a boy. Had a boy. See, should have just done that from the get-go, huh? Uh, um, <laughs> if May blinks at any time, know that he is in need of help. Uh, then we have Clemens with us in the probably the coolest backlit room of the. Oh, nice! Yeah, thank you, thank you. He's got mood lighting. Yeah, setting the tone. Uh, I don't know if that's <laughs> the right. Uh, I don't know if uh, that's the right uh, thing to say about today. So, okay, we're uh, everyone. We let off with uh, Columbine last week, uh, and which was a tough one to you know hear all of that. You know, hear all of the accusations, and you know, dig into a little bit of research, and a lot of people dying after Columbine, which was I thought very interesting. You know, yeah. like a lot of kids. Um, you know, obviously. A lot of like 
psychological issues they're having to survive something like that and we saw that like in the you know we didn't play that clip uh last week but i thought just to sort of remind everyone that this is you know diving into columbine this is a whole research now i know we're tiled entitled uh the franklin cover-up today um have you guys ever heard of the franklin cover-up not until like last week or when we talked about it that was the the first time i i heard about it so and then i it's then i watched the cu or the nebraska football game and then the volleyball game and i was just thinking i was like oh man the great state of nebraska what are we doing but yeah yeah it's i had not heard of it either and before we had mentioned it and man it's it's interesting well, we played that clip where John DeCamp was talking on that radio show. And he said that he saw a definite link between Columbine and the Franklin cover-up, which he had worked on years prior. And so I just thought that, you know, and by chance he happened to get the the you know, pieces of evidence between Eric Harris's parents, the mom and the dad, he got free access to the basement, got all of their records. And then on his way back, somehow the Denver, you know, police got there before he did and was able to detain all of that documentation at his office, you know, and, and to this day is not released and he's dead. He died in 2017. So, I mean, like, and for him to see links, you know, so I did a little research on him and he wasn't just like a senator from uh, Nebraska, but he was a Green Beret in Vietnam. Well, I did not know that. Mm -hmm. He was involved in a Phoenix project, which is very interesting. Uh, mm -hmm. He was very good friends with the head of the CIA, CIA Bill Curry, uh, Bill uh, Campy. I, I got it pulled up somewhere. We'll get it. But he was the, uh, uh, the the man that replaced him, that replaced him as head of CIA. So John DeCamp was friends with the head of the CIA, right? Bill. The guy that replaced him was George Bush Sr. And it was interesting. Wow. Yeah. Surprise, surprise. Mm. So, um, so that's interesting uh, history behind uh, John DeCamp. He was involved also in like when Saigon fell, uh, like removing the kids out of Saigon and getting them to the U.S. So like, you know, he didn't like it seems like he was a very like good man, like, you know, a decent did his job type of fella. Um, and then like returned back to his, you know, little town of Nebraska, Lincoln, you know, which isn't like we talk about Lincoln, but you've been there several times, May. How big is Lincoln? Like just regular population. Mm, I, I don't know what off the top of my head. A couple I mean, hundred thousand, isn't it? Yeah. It's not huge. I don't know. You'll have to look it up. Why. But, you know, so he is from the, you know, Nebraska is, you know, very sparse. There's not very many big areas in Nebraska. There's one big town on one side of Nebraska, and then there's another big town. Huskers were pretty big back then, though. I mean, this is 94, right? So, like, I oh, want to say yeah. that. 
Yeah, the Huskers weird. were oh, a championship yeah. team. Uh, I just pulled it up. It says population 289,102. Okay. Decent decent size, yeah. Yeah, And that's current population, right? I, don't yeah, suppose I, did, I pulled it up on on uh, on Apple Maps. So, oh, yeah, sure. I would say that's that's current. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure back in 92, it was quite a bit less than that. Maybe maybe around that size, but not huge. You know, definitely not a huge town compared to some of these cities. And uh, Omaha uh, is not too far from Lincoln. What, about a two-hour drive or so? Yeah, two, three. Yeah, right in there. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, which in the Midwest is really nothing, you know, like you tell other people that and they're like, oh, my Lord, I've told a New Yorker that they're like, it's a three hour drive. Oh, that's, you know, but they'll wait. They'll do like, you know, five hours commute on a train to get, you know, to their job in the morning. And they think nothing of that. They're like, oh, no, but I'm on the train. I can get San Marino. Yeah. <laughs> Watch homeless people piss on each other. Just, you know, whatever, <laughs> whatever entails the train duties. All right, so that's uh, I mean, and it's interesting. The only reason I know he's friends with the uh, the former head uh, head of the CIA, uh, and I really should look up his name. It was from like I believe seventy one to uh, uh, seventy six. Let's see, I'm on page twenty eight. Um, I can find it here real quick. It's William. When was it? Uh, anyway, we'll have someone look it up here for us. Head of CIA. I don't want to get like too bogged down in details, but th uh, what, what the reason I bring it up is what I found fascinating is in the documentary, he's interviewed in it. Like, when's the last time you see like an active CIA? Head of CIA admit that there was a conspiracy. Like, admit? Not, yeah, I'd be like, yeah, say, I would yeah. say hardly, right? I mean, they're not going to ever. Like, yeah. Right? And and this Unless guy, there was a motive behind it, no. Well, and there's some weird stuff, you know, I don't know. But I wanted to just give a little bit of backup idea on who John DeCamp like associated with or used for his verification to show he was sort of like his, you know, his sort of uh, character witness that he used in those documentaries show that he wasn't crazy because what we're about to get into is crazy. Is crazy. Like yeah. crazy. And so, um, and so like you want to sort of verify the people telling the story because you don't want, you know, you don't want to just be, you know, and this book got completely ridiculed and it was fascinating because as I'm researching, you know, I, I'm going through the cycle, right? Like I'm studying Columbine and then I discovered John DeCamp's name. So then I look up John DeCamp and then you find John DeCamp and then you hear someone mention Franklin scandal and you hear someone else mention Franklin scandal. So then I'm like, all right, well, what's the Franklin scandal? Because all of them are like, oh yeah, 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 Franklin scandal. And then they continue on with their conversation. And I'm like, well, what, what, what the hell is a Franklin scandal? You know? And so I look it up and 
and that's the story we're going to delve into. And this is the story as told by John DeCamp. He writes a book about this in 1993. And uh, he wrote an updated version in 2004. And that's the book I, I read. Uh, and in the 2004 edition, he, in the preface, in his updates, he includes all page and a half on Columbine. Which would naturally spark your interest because you're like, where does Columbine come into this? Like, how does a school shooting tie into this cover-up? And you guys remember hearing the video or hearing the audio clip uh, in that radio show where he, you know, mentions that it felt very similar to his Franklin cover-up incident. And, And the whole story, there's a whole timeline here, right? There's, you know, Banks are created in the 70s, and then there's board members that join the bank, and then, you know, other board members with those board members overwhelm the bank, and then they take over, you know, just sort of how finances work in that world. And so that's what happens to this bank in Omaha. And a guy by the name of Larry King, and we're not talking, C, you know, CNN, not talking... Lawrence King. <laughs> I'm not going to call him Lawrence because everyone else called him Larry, right? So it's Larry King. This guy, Larry King, uh, becomes one of these, uh, you know, members of the Franklin Credit Union. And there's, you know, he becomes publicized in local Omaha lore, right? Like uh, you see him on the little 5 p.m. news clippets where, like, they're like the opening of the Franklin. Franklin Credit Union, and there's, you know, he's standing there with scissors, cutting the ribbon, you know. That's Larry King. That's the type of guy this, you know, he is. He's very involved. The whole premise of doing this is so he can give small loans to local urban area business owners so that they can create business, you know, just, you know, want to help out North Omaha. Now, I don't know if you guys know Omaha area very well or not, you know, but so Try he's out of it. <laughs> yeah well i don't blame you after reading this you know like <laughs> jesus christ so you know he's uh you know trawling along he's a republican part of the republican party riding the reagan train you know all the way to the top uh he actually you know when they like uh what's that, the gop nomination you know for a, a, a candidate we're coming up on that time where the parties nominate who they're going to vote for president and or send to up to a primary public election you know whoever wins the primary so he was there in 84 and he got to sing the uh national anthem and uh it like blew the yeah you know i can probably find a video of it too just to give you guys an idea it wasn't um, like Fergie national anthem. It was actually like legit job well done. Uh, so he's yeah. I mean, it's you'll have to you'll have to hear for yourself what you what you think of him. But like, it's sort of funny because you know, I was was Republican Party fighting like uh, um like the racism charges they do now where like you know how for every now when you say republican people are like ah oh, they're all racist like is that the, is it the same way now as it was back then 
you know, because it, it sort of seems like it's a little bit of pandering. You know, like, hey, we found this. That'd be uh, a question for Devin since he's like 40 years older than all of us. <laughs> I know. I miss, uh, I. he's got to work late, you know. He's got to pay for it. I guess for me, I would have to say that, like, you know, I don't think that sort of uh, thing would spur out of nowhere. So I would say that it would be uh, just as rampant then as it as it was when they found it. Racism is what I'm talking about. Ladies and gentlemen, the chair now recognizes Lawrence. This is, this is it right here. A member of the Nebraska delegation for the singing of the national anthem. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, see, can you see by the dawn early light? What so proudly we feel at the twilight's last So first off, that's not what I expected him to look like at no. all. I figured he'd be a curmudgeonly old white man. Um, not uh... no up and comer, up and comer, bro. Like riding the ranks up there. This is 1984. All is good. Uh, I mean, that's look at, the, look at the volume in his hair too. Like that's yeah. that shit didn't move. Like and it was like it was pristine. I mean, he was fighting back that uh, that dress shirt. I mean, it was <laughs> he with those notes he was hitting. That was well done. But oh. no, that is not what I expected. Yeah, no. I was disappointed to see that not many people were singing along. There was that first one. Like How I didn't know. Like, not taken it, off. Like, did you? Yeah. Notice that? Everyone had their head on, including May. May yeah, kept no, I felt, the I entire. Felt, uh, yeah. <laughs> Just, I couldn't believe it. I was. Yeah, I was a little. Um, well, that's what I didn't know. I didn't know if I should have taken it off like mid, mid verse. I, was, I felt real, yeah. real disrespectful. I would, I would, I, yeah, well, I. I'll talk about that. But after. you're right. I, the the patriot the patriotism or patriot patriotic, you know, fire in that audience. I don't. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't really see it. No. Um. So well, I mean, they. I guess they. 
they were all dressed as flags. I don't know if you saw the delegation there. Ah, the 80s. So that's 1984, right? That happens, right? Now, uh, I mean, he's Lawrence King has been making moves in the city of Omaha, working his way up to get to that point. I mean, just to get to to be on the Republican you know, uh, you know, uh, committee or whatever convention, the Republican convention, uh, in 1984, that's like, that's not an accident, you know, and that takes some work. And so in Omaha, you know, he's working with, there's a guy that owns like a, I always thought of like semi-pro, like the Will Ferrell movie, you know, there's like a hockey team in Omaha that was semi-pro there. I can't, I can't remember the name of it. Um, but anyway, the owner of that uh, became friends with Larry King. And then Larry King began making friends uh, with other high-end people uh, within Omaha, uh, friends of uh, people who worked for the Omaha Herald, uh, friends with the police department, anytime the police needed something. You know, just, you know, Work, you know, no, how normal businessmen work their way up. And then he, you know, worked his way up into being able to get into the Franklin Bank. And he bragged about how he was only going to get paid. I think it was like a salary of only 16000 uh a year. Like it was, I, it was around that. It was like a super low number, you know, just like a man of the people. And, uh, and then he works his way up to uh, singing the national anthem in 1984. And then it was Reagan that got elected in 1984, correct? It was 84. It was his reelection, I believe. And then, uh, and then Bush, Bush took over in uh, 88 uh, or 89, whatever. It was like, but it was Reagan and Bush. So anyway, so he's at the one where uh, Reagan's getting reelected. Uh and if you guys, you know, you have questions or I'm not making sense, you got to let me know because I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to go on a rant here. And uh, and like if something sounds fishy too, like pretty much what I'm going to do, I'm going to read you segments from the book, The Franklin Cover-Up, written by John DeCamp in 1993. Uh, I'm going to read it out of the 2004 edition. Uh, and pretty much what happened is uh, the whole preface of the book is... Uh, no one's listening to old John DeCamp, and he has to get this out somehow. And so his buddy, the head of the CIA, sat him down and said, listen, you know, just make it public. You know, they can't do anything to you if you make it public. And then, uh, and then you know, just walk away from it and go help other people out. And so John DeCamp in 1993, after... Six years of investigating this, wipes his hands clean, writes his book, uh, and then walks away, you know, and, and does other, you know, I found out he does a lot of other good things for other people, including people in Columbine. So, in 1985, less than a year after that, of Larry King singing the national anthem, Jared and Barb Webb, who have been foster parents for quite some time, you know, sometimes up to like nine kids at one time, but they're very affluent. I mean, like they're very wealthy. Uh, she is a cousin. The wife is a cousin to Larry King. And uh, so, you know, there's relation there. And uh, 
and her husband like works for the public you know utilities and uh and is also a shareholder in the franklin bank and so like you know they you know they have enough room you know it's not like they're just jamming kids in a tiny little place you know and so you know it's you know a nice gesture they're being you know taken in these kids that are needing a home but in 1985 on june 10th nelly and kimberly webb two little girls uh i believe it's like 12 and 15 are once again detained by or caught uh running away from their parents house now it's not their biological parents uh these are kids that they had taken in and then adopted and uh and they're you know they live with their grandma and so dhs or what do they call it uh dss uh child services child protection services comes out there to grandma's house to talk to these two little girls and according to chapter two in uh in this book um and this is this is not like hearsay these are all documents documents that were discovered in you know the discovery process of this case that was uh taken to a grand jury in omaha so uh this is the first instance right so the social worker gets this call and writes in the report that uh and this is uh uh, a document that they find and it said that uh this started in 1978 approximately eight months eight months after they moved into the web home the girls said they were hit with objects um here let me and i can that way you guys aren't you can sort of see it too um All right, can you see it? Yeah. All right. All right. So, uh, said that uh, started in 1978, they were hit with objects like extension cords, a belt, a black thing, which was a rubber hose, and a railroad prop, which was a narrow piece of heavy black rubber, approximately two feet long, with several holes in each end. Do you know what? Have you ever heard of that? Is that like the bumper they use on train cars? A little hard rubber. I don't know. <clears throat> like a uh, bumper? So, yeah, like you know those hard rubber bumpers. Yeah. And so, so I mean, so obviously, like they were beating these Could kids. They said, but then they said oh. before they were struck, they were made to remove their clothing. Uh, they were mainly struck on the back or on the behind, but occasionally on the head or on the face. Yeah. So, um, you know. Obviously, when you first read that, you're like, God, oh, that is. But then at two, you know, it's like 1978 and parenting is crazy back then. You know, you can pretty much short of murdering your kid. You can do just about whatever you want to them. Parents had some switches. <laughs> yeah, well, this is hell. I mean, just a couple, just not long <laughs> ago, you would have to I pick mean, out your own switch and get get a spanking with and if it wasn't proper she was going to pick out the right one now um that's a lot different though than getting beat by a, a railroad car oh, rubber, yeah. You know, that. yeah that thing's got to be hard like 
yeah. hard. Like, you know, I mean, the holes I assume is for like aerodynamics. You know, you got to get a swing in there. Go through it. Yeah. But well, yeah. and that I mean, and then it gets like it gets a little more intense though. It says, you know, the dad was like French kissing her, and then you know, some very you know like you know inappropriate stuff he was making her do and you know touching her and she's like 10 at this time when he's doing it you know and then uh if anyone like if you know she said anything uh he just whip her you know and the mom didn't care at all in fact what they found was that her mom was getting uh larry larry king would stop by with an envelope full of photos or videos and then it gets stuffed underneath their bedroom and you know underneath the uh the bed the, the parents bed and so when the parents were gone the kids would look at it and it'd be all this like porn you know like homemade porn and stuff and just like really you know gross stuff that they you know were seeing and uh and then they noticed like how the principal like would come visit them often and like how their mom would bring like those envelopes to the principal uh, at the school and stuff. And just, just, you know, and like how the principal always treated them with like the utmost respect, you know, it was just like, whoa, you know, and his super, I believe the superintendent was involved with the bank. So, you know, there was a interesting link there. So anyway, um, yeah, uh, she begins to, you know, say that after after she got uh, to be 12, Uncle Larry would come by and, uh, I mean, like, let's see here. Uh, let's see, page 30. Okay, so she starts making these claims how, um, let me see if I can find them here. Um oh uh interesting note they had re been reporting this the department had come across repeated allegations of physical abuse told to our department by six different children during separate interviews of being struck for long periods of times while naked by various objects including belt rubber hose and railroad prop denial of meals in the home Sexual abuse of Nellie by Jarrett. Uh, the intense concern by the children out of the web home for the physical and emotional well-being. So, like, this is noted, right? It's been noted several times. And yet, somehow, these kids keep getting returned back to the... That's messed up. Like, yeah. It's like, you took them in the first place because of safety reasons. Right. Well, it sounds like they were just a paycheck. I mean, were, yeah. were they getting paid handsomely to take all these kids in? Because the way they're treating them and touching them and doing that, like, they obviously don't give a, a rat's ass about these kids. No, they're treating them like property. So you're yeah. right. Like, were they getting something from them? Like, was that their so, ticket? Uh, so Julie Waters. So this it's interesting. You know, like we give a lot of credit to John DeCamp and, and rightfully so. Rightfully so. Because, he, you know, he did his his due diligence. But there should also like there are little heroes throughout this story who did what they could, you know, and like 
So like there is a uh, child protective service worker, social worker that works for Boys Town named Julie Waters. And these girls mention that, okay, so we'll, we'll hop back. Nellie, uh, when she turns, uh, beginning around when she's 15, she keeps getting called up by Larry King. And uh, he's like, hey, I'm going to take you on a trip, right? And so you take her on a trip to uh, the North Omaha Girls Club. And there'd be, you know, there'd be like a sex party going on over there. You know, there'd be like porn playing on videos and people fucking each other. And then she got introduced to, you know, uh, some of the other kids there that were her age. And uh, they said they were from Boys Town. And so they asked her, well, do you, you know, do you remember their names? And she's like, yes. So they make a call to Boys Town. They're like, hey, supposedly this girl knows kids from Boys Town. Can you send someone out here to verify that, you know, or is she lying? So this woman, Julie Waters, comes down to find out if, uh, you know, Nellie's, you know, uh, full of shit or not. And Nellie's also saying in these stories that they'd get there, they'd be Friday evenings, they last about 45 minutes long. There'd be about like 20 to 25 young kids there, boys and girls, and then a bunch of like older men present at these parties. And then, uh, you know, there would be always someone videotaping. There was always someone videotaping and uh, or taking pictures, one or the other. And uh, And then, you know, uh, eventually these parties turned into, you know, an area for prostitutions where a guy hold out 50 bucks, hundred bucks, and then walk up to someone and then they'd go, go away. And, you know, and, and she claims that she saw, you know, of course, Larry King was the one that took her there, but she claims to see, you know, the head of this semi-pro hockey team who's also involved in a bunch of other businesses. They said this guy was just he could touch a business that was failing and turn it into gold. You know, Alan Bear was his name. And so they, you know, Alan Bear's at this party. There's a journalist, a senior editor at the Omaha Herald that's at these parties. Uh, the chief of police, uh, Bill Wadman, is at this party. Or Bob Wadman, I can't remember. Um, and this is according to the book. And I have to say that, you know, because these are... According to John DeCamp's Opinions and Beliefs, um, and these are the testimony of the kids that, you know, Nellie and Kimberly, this is what, this is their testimony, right? This is what's written yeah. down in their testimony. So, um, and that's all on this book, the Franklin cover-up, which, you know, I'm going to, I got a PDF version of it, but I'm going to download it. Go Just like a lot of respected members, like within the community so these are right. like they're naming people that a lot of the community look up to for leadership yes yep yes yeah um the whole the whole uh, little well it's definitely there. tight tight circle groups of the same oh warren buffett see that's Ooh. that's kind of what i was wondering is now, yeah. the reason and and that is included in the book now as far as far as testimony from these these eight uh eight these eight children warren buffett's name is never brought up like uh that i could find or that's mentioned in the book but warren buffett is got his hands tied all over omaha 
you know, all over Omaha. So of course, you know, it's, I mean, it's a good point. Uh, who is that? Dan Calvano. Um, yes. And thanks for bringing that up. So, uh, so, um, she's, uh, talking about these parties, right. And, uh, and then they, this starts, this is not just like a once in a dinner thing, you know, this is often. So, uh, then this is, uh, here, let me see if I can, uh, share this from the book too. Um, I, I'm sorry it goes to this view every time. I wish I could delete it. All right. All right. So, that, um, and then it goes on that she accompanied Mr. and Mrs. King and their son Prince on trips to Chicago, New York, and D.C. beginning when she was 15. She missed 20. Now, this is the passage in Julie Waters' handwritten report. All right. So this is this is not the camp's writing. This is uh, independent child protective service worker says she missed 22 days of school almost totally due to these trips nelly was taken along uh the pretense of being prince's babysitter last year she met vp george bush and saw him again at one of the parties larry gave while at dc at some of the parties uh there are just men as was in the case of the george bush party attended older men and younger men in early 20s nelly said she had seen sodomy committed at these parties at other parties during Larry's trips, Larry had local prostitutes, 20s and 30s there, to entertain his male guests. Uh, she said that they had uh, bodyguards and men wearing guns, you know, and all that type of stuff. But uh, as it goes on, so, I mean, I don't know if it's, it just seems like it's, he's always the guy at the, you know, at the, at the good party. You know what I mean? According, I'm not saying that, but you know what I mean? Like it's where there's no real standards. And, and you know, and he's not a nice guy. Yeah. They say you, know, you mess with him, you get your legs broken. Um, on the outside, he has all the appearances of an upstanding citizen, but underneath, he's very dirty. Yeah, because this is the same guy that was singing in the beginning. Like he's the one at all these parties. Yes, yes. This is yeah. This is uh, this is Larry King. Uh, we're talking about, and he's taking Nellie, which is the girl that escaped from Jared and Barb Webb's house. Uh, this is her account of like what's been going on while she's been living with her adoptive parents. Like she's been, you know, going to all of these, you know, weird sex parties. Uh, she's, you know, been paid for sex, been used for sex. Uh, you know, not good, you know, like it's not good. And so she gets a whole, you know, this woman, Julie Waters comes down there. And um, she interviews her and she has the yearbook from Boys Town. Now, Boys Town is like a, a actual village for troubled youths started by the Catholics in the 20s. And the whole premise of it is to take these troubled youths and turn them into outstanding young men of the community that can then serve as, you know, proper citizens. And it's still it's still an established establishment today and there's you know it's inspired like a whole culture like there's one in korea and you know they're all over these little you know boys town villages where they take troubled youths or you know orphan kids that have nowhere else to go and it was started by the catholics in the 20s so you know 
uh, I forgot the guy's name, Father Finnegan, or you know something Irish, you know, like old Father Finnegan. Yeah, Flanagan or something. Yeah. Yeah, Flanagan. Yeah. Flanagan. Yeah. It ha- now I, we had talked about this before, but you guys had never heard of Boys Town, or? No, I. So I was just looking it up. Um, when I lived in Nebraska, um, we watched. I don't know if it, if it was the movie with Mickey Rooney and Spencer Tracy, Boys Town. I thought yep. it was Little Timmy yep. or something, but it uh, uh, won an Emmy. It won an Emmy. Yeah, yeah. We watched it in and went to the Capitol Building and and um, and everything. I remember. I I remember that now when when we lived in Nebraska. It won an Emmy back in like the forties or something. It was yeah. like an old old movie. But it was, um, it was like it was this like beacon of the right thing to do, you know, like take these poor kids and you know give them a fighting chance. And there was a lot of orphan trains going on back then during the Depression. We talked about that in the Eugenic Show, where Iowa, you know, they were just you know chopping their nuts off. You know, in Nebraska here was willing to train them in to be young men. So you know, it was this great image for Nebraska too. Uh, their mission statement is changing the way America cares for their or cares for children and families. Right. Right. So, um, that gives you an idea of Boys Town. Well, Larry King, um, you know, had, uh, business dealings through the King Corporation with Boys Town. And that was like, you know, services provided for, jobs for young men that were getting ready of, uh, to be of age to go work in the work field you know put them to work and get them on a work schedule and he owned several little shops where these guys could work and stuff so um you know he had a he had a, um uh, a lot of dealings with boys town so julie waters brings yearbooks to nelly and says okay um you mentioned these boys names can you Show me a picture of them. And she points out four boys. And then one, Paul Bonacci, she says, left Boys Town in like 83. And the woman had brought her like, I forget what it was, like 86 through 84 or something. And so uh, four of the five boys, she identifies as seen at those parties with Larry King. So Julie Waters reports this. You know, but the but child's protection protective services has no power, right? Like they can't like you know they don't have a police force. Not that I'm saying they should either, um, but like uh, you know they don't they just don't have the funds to like go and investigate things like this. They are to you know observe and then report, and then from that point things should be taken care of. And with these girls, Nellie and Kimberly, I mean, they are talking some serious allegations. So what do Jared and Barb Webb do with their, with their daughters who they claim are just making up crazy lies? Uh, They say, okay, let's reverse the adoption then immediately. Let's just get it over with. Let's go. They said that uh, the mom showed up sobbing, saying that the girls were telling lies and that they just wanted to get this horrible horrible experience over with and have them out of their lives does that sound like i mean i I don't know does that sound like something let's just let's just do a redo like yeah don't don't bring up the beatings or the the 
you know, taking your clothes off. Let's just forget about it. Next time. Next well, time. and that's just it. If they that's can crazy. get them to reverse the adoption, you know, and completely uh, cut off any connection to them, they won't prosecute them. And so these, you know, <laughs> Jared and Barb Webb are trying their butts off to get, you know, pretty much get rid of these girls that they adopted and supposedly loved. You know? oh, yeah, it's a get out of jail free card, basically. Like, oh, exactly. I don't have to admit to anything. Like, just get rid of them. Okay. Well, and it's not just that. Julie Waters goes to the uh, dis or the uh, the attorney, the attorney general of that uh, county, the uh, uh, county attorney, I guess. And uh, and says to him, look at what these girls are saying. You're going to have to charge these parents for like rape, you know, because they're they're raping their uh, kids and they need to have their foster care license removed. And, you know, and so uh, and you can't just reverse an adoption. It's very hard. It's very hard to reverse an adoption. And so uh, the state of Nebraska, however, does reverse the adoption and the county attorney says that no these girls Nellie and Kimberly are flat out lying and he's so convinced they're lying that he says to Julie Waters I I took him uh we're going to take him to the sheriff's department and we're going to make the sheriff give her a lie detector test and I mean can you imagine like a 15 year old girl being forced to go to a sheriff's department get strapped up with a lie detector test and then be asked questions about getting raped. And then you're muted there, uh, Clemens. Sorry about that. But in today's world, you take a witness and you at at face value. But in this case, they're making a report, and because they don't like what's being reported, now they're like, okay, well, let, we gotta we gotta check the credibility of this report before we can take it serious. Like that, that's crazy. And so the sheriff does this lie detector test, does it four times. And he tells Julia, Julie Waters, I really tried to break her. He goes in, but I believe her, but I believe her because she passes all four tests. Still county attorney calls her a flat out liar. And the reason wow. might be is because the principal of that uh, Fort Calhoun was Kent Miller and superintendent deward finch and supposedly deward finch she mentions in well not supposedly she does mention deward finch at those parties and she mentions that the principal uh liked uh little black girls and recalls her mom saying we had got him with pictures with a uh, with some women and so that would explain in her mind why he was always like super nice to them when they stopped by the school and like just dropped whatever he was doing when the webs came to to fort calhoun high school like he was what can i help you guys with uh but according according to the county attorney who um was um i can't remember his link he was linked somehow to the franklin bank um, no way said no way those girls were lying absolutely lying so you know it ends there i mean they lose their uh i mean they are able to get out of living with the webs they you know live with their grandma and they are out of larry king's uh little circle there 
And uh, yeah, but I'm and, surprised at that point they're not hunted or or a loose end trying to be closed up. You know what I mean? Like usually, if you're part of that, and for somehow you do get your your you know you're broken away from that, ain't nobody gonna let you just wander the streets. You know? Well, keeping, they, they were keeping taken you to around. A, they were taken to a uh, 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 a household in Blair, Nebraska. That was a foster care home with uh, Kathleen and her husband Sorensen. I don't remember the husband's name. It was never brought up. But Kathleen uh, uh, becomes a, a key witness in this case because she takes those girls in along with several other kids in which a, a weird story starts to envelop. But not yet. Not yet because with with. Uh, with uh, Nellie and Kimberly now out of the web house and everything sort of returning back to normal county attorney will not seek any civil action against the parents will not sue them. And, uh, and the kids are now uh, removed and replaced to uh, Kathleen Sorensen's care. Uh, you know, life goes on. So that was two of the nine or did all of them get removed? So these kids were adopted by them, but they had foster kids. So they had up to oh, nine kids okay, okay. cycling through. But there was what we read. There was like at least six different attempts. Yeah. yeah, at least six different attempts by kids, either singularly or in pairs, trying to escape the house. So and um, they make it clear, like Kimberly and Nellie make it clear, you know, like a lot of these kids were like in and out and then gone and. You know, and then the ones that they adopted, you know, they were like starving and, it was, you know, which is crazy because, you know, the police didn't really want to mess around with it at first because it was, you know, the webs. Like, you all know people in the town that, like, you I mean, you may not know them personally, but in a small town, you know, the the important names, you know, like the the Thompsons or, you know, the Schwarzenbergs. <laughs> I don't know, you know, but you know, Schwarzenbergs, yeah, the Skiggies, yeah, yeah, those people, like, or like what the what the church likes to say is those those uh, the ones whose ten percent weighs a little bit heavier than the rest. It's <laughs> good analogy. We move forward less than a year. On June 86, 1986, the kids are removed. You know, like permanently, adoption's over. Now, in May 1988, Officer Carmine gets a report. Carmine, I believe is his name, gets a report saying uh, from a mother and a daughter saying that something super creepy has happened. Uh, we think that our child was like getting, you know, getting interviewed to get raped. And this guy's been, yeah, super creepy. So they need to talk to Officer Carmine. So he comes down there. Lieutenant sends him over there. He goes over there. And this is the story they have to tell. Her daughter uh, It is uh, Margo and Brenda Parker. Right. So Margo's the mom. Brenda's the daughter. She's working at the supermarket, you know, bagging groceries. This guy says he's a photographer, loves to take pictures of models, and she's got the model body. And this girl's 15, right? So uh, 
he's like, if you ever want to make some money, you know, like, you know, here's my card, you know, give me a call. So obviously, and they don't say this, but you know, the, the mom says that eventually Brenda decides, Hey, this might be a good idea to make some cash. So she calls him up and says, Hey, can I bring my mom with me? And the guy's like, yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. The guy's name is Rusty Nelson. Old Rusty Nelson. And he lives in the Twin Towers. I got super confused when I kept reading this at first. But it's Twin Towers of Omaha. So it's not the actual cool Twin Towers. It's a crappy Midwest Twin Tower. Yeah. But supposedly this. Like, not not twin get hit by planes. <laughs> <laughs> Find a way, May, to just... <laughs> All right, so, uh, so Officer Carmine uh, is listening to the story, and they say what happens is uh, they go up there, and the guy offers them, uh, "Do you want some strawberries and champagne?" And uh, they're like, "No." And so then he's taking pictures, and he never asks her to get nude, but he's always talking about like showing more cleavage or how nice she would look without a shirt on, and like. Then the mom's like looking around the desk and uh, or not without her shirt on in lingerie. How nice she would look in some lingerie because he's going on a European tour. And uh, and so the mom, while the daughter's getting pictures, looking around the desk and she's seeing pictures of all these like 11, 12 year old girls and boys like getting picture, like partially nude photos all strewn about his desk. And, uh, you know, she starts getting some creepy vibes here. And so then she asks him, like, where do you, like, who do you sell your photos to? And he's like, oh, I sell them to different universities and uh, different, you know, different news establishments and, and magazines. And he lists off a bunch of names of, you know, universities he sells it to and stuff like that. And so then they get done with the photo shoot. She leaves and immediately calls the cops. And that's when Officer Carmine shows up. And, uh, and so like, you know, it's like, it's a little odd. Right. And so, uh, he goes to sort of investigate who this rusty Nelson guy is. And the mom said like, he's obviously very gay. Like he's just, he's not like hitting on my daughter. He's just, you know, like just very gay. So, you know, they look into this rusty Nelson. He's a bartender at a downtown gay bar called max with two X's. Uh, who's owned by uh, a guy named Gary West, uh, who, you know, does financial business with um, Larry King, you know, like hosting like parties and events, stuff like that. And uh, and so then he decides to uh, go and investigate the apartment. And so, like, of course, he can't get access to the apartment. And so, like, he's asking... Um, uh, the I, I don't know what do you call the guy downstairs that just like meets you at the elevators, you know, like doorman and yeah. like business. Like building superintendent. manager, yeah, the superintendent. Yeah. yeah, he talks to the building superintendent. Thank you. And uh, the guy says, "Oh no, that that apartment is owned by Larry King." And he's like, "And I thought it was like super weird because he tried to buy it five years ago and was like, when we told him how much it was, he was like, ah, I don't know if I can come up with the cash." And then when he bought it, you know, when he finally did buy it, like he bought this one and he said he wanted it so that, you know, when he stayed in Omaha, he, you know, if he, he had a place to crash. But then he bought one at the towers right next door. So like now he's got these two huge, like elegant uh, rooms, you know. And so Officer Carmine 
finds it, you know, just sort of, you know, that's takes it down, makes a note of it, you know, nothing, nothing he can really like charge anyone with, you know, but to me, you know, there's, so you got Julie waters who does her report and is working things on her end. But you know, this is like, first of all, kudos to Margo, the mom for not letting her daughter go to a photo shoot by herself. You know, like some good parenting right there. Right. Like doesn't just drop her off and like, Hey, I'll see you in an hour. Yeah, have fun with you know, because you know, back then it was probably a little bit more freer. Where you know, it, you wouldn't think second twice about it. You'd be like, okay, I'll be down here. Or I'm gonna go to the Piggly Wiggly. I'll be back in an hour. Yeah, yeah. like, yeah, that's yeah. big, 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 uh, big ups to uh, Margot for sure. Well, and by the time they got access into the apartment, Rusty had cleared out. He was gone. There was no trace of him and you know and this mom she had called those different uh universities and and companies that he had mentioned and um they said they had never heard of this dude uh rusty nelson and then the uh and then finally she found one guy and said oh you stay away from that guy he is a creep so like you know so interesting interesting day for poor officer carmine there uh, and then um, uh, June 28th. So that happens May 5th, right? On June 28th, they get another call about, a, and the names have been changed for some of these people. Um, so they get a call by, as in the book, Loretta Smith, right? And uh, from the hospital saying that they've got this girl saying all sorts of crazy stories saying that she's witnessed homicides and uh like we don't know what to do and we we think like an officer should come down and talk to her and so um and so officer carmine gets assigned to this uh loretta smith uh go talk to this loretta smith uh and so let me uh give me a second here so right now i mean like this is like you know a month apart you know they just sort of getting little driplets of uh information uh now loretta smith she's 15 years old at the time here i'll share this i just like and i want to share it just so you guys can sort of read along with it i'm right here i don't know if you can see my cursor right there Uh, so he says she's pretty articulate uh, for a 15-year-old uh, girl. Uh, she said that five or six years ago, so at uh, 15, this would be at not eight or nine, she met a white male who had coaxed her into modeling for him. He offered to take her home if she would pose for some pictures. Um you know, he took some with a Polaroid camera, fully clothed, you know, just sort of the, you know, the regular creepy stuff, right, that you would expect in a case like this. Um, she said, though, that um, they uh, started taking her to parties at the North Omaha Girls Club, where she knew, among other people, Nellie and Kimberly Webb. Now, here's this girl, just out of the blue. Officer Carmine doesn't know anything about Nellie or uh kelly webb 
right? I mean, this is like, uh, you know, downtown Omaha hospital. These web girls are, you know, a little, I think a little over an hour away from Omaha. So not in the same school district, no real connection there. And yet when they're talking about, Hey, who did you see there? They're like, well, we saw kids and adults. Well, what were the kids names? Well, there was, uh, Kelly and then there was Kimberly or Nellie and Kimberly and that's you know so interesting right uh so now there's uh three separate witnesses to these parties that are going on at the North Omaha Girls Club on Lake Street um and then she talks about how uh you know they would eventually it turned into where they were getting used for sex and you know Stuff like that. If she ever told anyone, they would, you know, kill, you know, they would kill her uh, parents or kill her, you know, just a normal, horrible, gross, controlling shit that uh, those guys do. But then uh, it gets, uh, it gets a little weirder. Loretta says that 11 years old, they started taking her to attend these rituals. Uh, now, at these rituals, they were given something to drink, which she said tasted like apple juice, but probably contained some sort of drug. It's pretty rampant back then. And then um, this is the report that Carmian puts down. During the course of the reporting officer's interview with Loretta Isabel Smith concerning child pornography activity, as well as devil worship, she mentioned the name Larry King as being a participant and a supporter in these activities. Um, she asked how he knew, and she said that she had been taken. Uh, she had uh, known the daughter of Gary West. So like the owner of the gay bar club was using his daughter in ritualistic, like a Satan worship, according to uh, Loretta Smith. Uh, and it's like, I mean, it's just absolutely like horrible. The stuff she tells uh, the officer, but then it gets worse because after the officer leaves and she's, you know, she's in this hospital for a minute uh, and she gets comfortable with the doctors and they get her to, you know, talk about more and more stuff. Uh, she uh, talks about uh, April 19th. The hospital notes uh, indicated that she gave a chronicle. Uh, let me see if I can uh, find out where this is on here. Give me a quick second. Um, this guy would take her out uh, to smoke a little weed. And then after about three or four weeks, he took him to a party. And uh, which, you know, he takes him to a party. They get wasted. And then. They pretty much pass all the girls around. Uh, and then it starts to, when she uh, was 10-year-old, she indicated that candles and other weird stuff were at these power meetings. And the men wanted to take her to these power meetings. So one day, when she's 10 years old, uh, they say that she's going to, the room would spin for a while. They drug her. They take her out into the middle of nowhere and lock her in a room with a little girl who she described as a Caucasian infant. And about midnight, the men come into the room. They take the little girl away from her and told her that, that she could achieve power by killing something that she really loved. 
And then Loretta described that they cut the little girl's head off, stuck it on the wall, and made her sit in front of it. They indicated later that, that she had to take the little girl's head off the wall for the men, and then they proceeded to cut the eyes out and uh, said that the eyes uh, had the pow held the power to sight and uh, then proceeded to eat everything. Gross. What the fuck? What in the... Ugh. They left her in a locked room with that little girl that was dead at that point for 24 hours. She could hear men whipping other girls in other rooms. And then shortly after this, the men came into the room, told her that she had passed the test, and then drove her a couple of blocks. See, like, this is a kid, too, so it's it's not like they're going to make this up. You know, it's not it's not story time. It's not, you know what I mean? Nine years old. Nine years old. That's what I mean. Like they're they're not going. To, it's not just going to come out of left field. Like oh, let's let's make up a short story for somebody. This is yeah. They're reporting what they experienced, like from their she, perspective. They asked her who were at these parties. She said Larry King and Mister Finch, who was at that time the Fort Calhoun superintendent, which was the same superintendent of Nellie and Kimberly. At one such party, okay, so and that's not that's not just that, you know, like there's you know there she says at one meeting, uh uh they uh sacrificed a small boy. Uh they could hear the little boy screaming. She indicated the child was fried and eaten by the girls. Uh and now are these kids are wait, are these kids like these people's kids are they like kids that they coaxed into going with them like or like yeah are so are these just random know. kids yeah. taken taken from the boys and girls club or what do you remember um do you remember back in the uh remember when like girls in the 50s and 60s and 70s like they get pregnant during high school and they'd like ship them away for nine months and then they'd come back like nothing ever happened yeah like i, I wonder like you know there had to have been situations where they were like farming these you know and you remember that dr kermit out of philadelphia that was doing late-term abortions sometimes delivering the child and then killing it mm-hmm yeah, he got oh. sentenced to like 102 counts of murder because he, you know, was like delivering babies and killing them for parents who, or moms who had like, you know. Yeah. So, and they, yeah, that it's was, that up. was like, what? They just came out. I didn't, you know, is like it too 2013, late? I think it happened. So, like, you wonder, like, I, and I wonder that too, if like that's where they were getting, you know, unwanted, obviously unwanted children, I would think, you know, or, orphans or just you know obviously kids that had no one yeah or i mean you know like you always hear the let me sacrifice my firstborn for fame and glory and and power are these yeah. sick fucks yeah. giving up their first kids or you know their firstborn or that's what i was trying to figure out where where all these damn kids are going like See, did you I, know it's crazy to think about though like somebody would actually do that like it's I don't know. To me, it's it's wild. 
Do you know the FBI to this day does not keep a report on missing children? So, like, they don't know how many kids are missing in the U.S. at one time. So, like, there's estimates, you know, probably anywhere to, like, I think it's, like, uh, 250,000. Like, you think it's that? that I don't keep track of it. How do you not keep track of it? And I mean, would it be would it be too many to try to keep? Yeah, I mean, that's I, I heard scary one, to think about. But. I heard one say that like if the numbers ever came out, it would be just such a huge public uproar, uproar that the FBI just doesn't want to handle it. Like they're just like, yeah, we got other things to fry. Like we don't want this pressure to just hunt down every child that's missing. But I mean, still, still, like you can't still. Uh, there's more to what um, uh, Loretta Smith had to say. Uh, at other meetings, she indicated that the uh, men told her and the other girls they must sacrifice for power and described three incidents where further sacrifices took place. First one, a one-year-old white female had her head taken off by saw. The second, a four-year-old white male was hung on the walls and darts thrown at him. In the third, an Indian female, three or four years old, had several parts of her body cut off, which it was ground and poured on the girls, and they were made to drink the remains of the child. On August 21st, uh, 1988, she indicated the third and fourth and fifth took place in the spring of 1985 when she was 11. At these parties, uh, there were sacrifices where Mr. Finch king horses and the big guy she referred to earlier uh they were tested to see if they would keep quiet and how much control the men had over them the men would try to scare them by uh you know having them watch animals get mutilated the men would threaten them by saying that instead of killing them they would just cut off parts of bodies and torture the girls and make them suffer asked by details of the first uh sacrifice of the infant girl she said that she didn't cry, but when the men cut out the eyes of the girl, she did freak out and was screaming and hitting the walls. This police officer is just one to eat donuts and mind his business, and now he's got himself wrapped up in quite the... Ugh. Quite the mess. That's June 28th, Officer Carmine. Um, Poor Carmine, man. I, like... yep. uh, so then on, uh, let's see here, on July 13th, 1988, Julie Waters over there is now working uh, with uh, Child Protective Services and they are trying to talk to the uh, the head attorney general over there, Robert Spike, Spire, Spire, Robert Spire, right? Uh, and uh, you talk to the governor. Governor's like, oh, yeah, no, this is absolutely horrible. It's horrible. It's absolutely horrible. You know, so uh, let's get our attorney general on it. And so then they bring the fake case file over to the attorney general, right? By December... So that's July. By December 88, nothing's happened. So then they try to schedule another meeting. And they're like, uh, let's see. Um, sure. Yeah, we'll schedule one here in December for you. 
they get over there uh, a week before to confirm, and it has been etched out of the schedule. So she talks to the attorney general and tries to, you know, the state attorney general and tries to schedule a meeting with him, gets a meeting with him, goes in there. He's like, oh, yes, yes. The the uh, child rape in Omaha. Yes, we were. And according to her account, the file had not been like there'd been no activity done on it later in the Senate uh, uh, hearing. Uh, through investigation, they discovered they had appointed a, a like retiring cop part time to the case. <laughs> like pretty much just like, hey, here you go. And so like nothing had been done on it in that six month window up to this point. So now you have you have uh, Margot and Brenda, who has this weird experience in a in a King residency, Larry King's residence. You have Loretta Smith saying that the superintendent and uh, um, Larry King were, you know, going to these different sex parties. And some of them are like, it's it's not just saying like rape. It's like there's homicides now being said. There's at least five homicides that are being said by uh, Loretta Smith. So, I mean, that's, you know. It's it's not just. Did they like, do another lie detector test to see if she was telling the truth? I don't remember if they did one on her, but in in no case of reading this do I remember ever reading someone failing the lie detector test. So I guess you know there's take that with its grain of salt. Officer Carmine, uh, when called to um, <laughs> when when they call Officer Carmine because now you're getting these contacts between you know what he had done with Margot and Brenda and Loretta Smith versus what they knew about the web girls. Uh, they call him up and he's been transferred to research and planning, which is a one man department. And uh, just so happens he's the man. And so they ask him, they're like, Hey man, like uh, did they force you out? Did, are they trying to keep you silent? And according to, According to him, he sort of chuckles and he's like, no, I actually wanted this assignment uh, for quite some time. So I'm glad I got, you know, I'm glad I finally got it, honestly. And uh, that was it. That was it for the phone call. And so they call him to testify in June of 1989. And he testifies that he did. He believed Loretta Smith. He goes, I believe her testimony uh, that she gave me. 100%. Uh, less than two weeks later, the chief of police sends uh, Officer Carmine to the chief of poli or the, the uh, police department psychologist to have him declared crazy. <laughs> and you can, you can actually, uh, yeah, you can actually read the, uh, the uh, form that officer uh, or chief of police wadman filed with the uh with the doc with the doctor i uh, you guys talk i'll uh, i'll see if i can't find it oh yeah here it is i just i i carmine man he he just he stumbled upon something absolutely shitty this is the letter chief wadman filed for carmine on july 5th 1989 two less than two weeks later 
Says, uh, I'll zoom in. I'm requesting a supervisory, refer uh, a supervisory referral for Officer Carmine to see police psychologist Dr. Stephen Sherrits. I am basing this request on the actions demonstrated by Officer Carmine that surfaced during the Larry King investigation. Prior to Officer Carmine's assignment with research and planning, he was serving as an investigator with the robbery and sex unit under the command of Lieutenant Guy Goodrich. While in that assignment, Officer Carmine was involved as an investigator and did participate in looking into matters involving allegations that Larry King was involved in some sexual improprieties with young people. The investigation never did come close to supporting the allegations sufficiently for a charge to be considered against Larry King. So, uh, not lying on a lie detector test is not like. But but you read that other line below it. Another police officer in Omaha that kept a file on Larry King died of a heart attack. And you, now here's the thing: I'm not throwing any shade at John DeCamp, but I could not find when this guy had a heart attack. So, like the date, as far as date wise, you know, was Bill Skoleski. Did he die of a heart attack like 10 years ago? You know, why, you know, or was this, you oh, know, man. within the timeline of how this whole thing's starting to unfold? Taking a page at a, at a Bill and Hillary before Bill and Hillary. Well, I, you know, the, these stories, man, like, uh, I, you know, these stories, it's like you, you you don't want to share. I don't want to share all the sexual shit because it's you know it's horrible. It's it's not it's it's not just men having sex. It's men having aggressive, mean, vicious. I mean, they talk about putting ashes out on these kids, and the you know these kids still have scar marks on their arms, you know, and you know. I mean, it's 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 horrible. It's like horrible, and then but yeah, who who checks the checkers though? That that's the thing because it sounds like there's a lot of people, like a lot of respected members, a lot of a lot of leaders that are involved, and it's like if they are involved, then like who's gonna oh like who's holding them accountable for these things? And is this why nobody's saying anything? Is because nobody knows what to say, nobody knows what to do because it's like okay, well. You know, this person is in charge of signing my paycheck, and I don't want, like, I don't want that to be disrupted, you know? And the girls, like, I know we're, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but, like, what happens to them? Like, I mean, I can't. It's not that's just, just a, again, that's just a loose end. I know, but the three people that we've talked about, those are loose ends that have to come to an end at one point. I mean, well, I think you see a trend on how you handle young children that make these claims. Uh, where was Loretta Smith found? In an insane asylum. Yeah, drugged with prescription drugs. And, like, you didn't experience what you ex what you experienced. It, like, it wasn't real. Nothing was founded. And Nellie and Kimberly, they go to the attorney, uh, the county attorney. And because who are you going to believe? 
a respected member of society or Margot and Brenda Parker. Uh, you know, no sexual impropriety happened, so you can't do anything, even if this guy is a creep. You know, so I mean, like, you know, and then Officer Carmine, you know, he's just a, uh, you know, and he writes down the stuff in his report and he sticks by it so much that he's transferred. You know what I mean? Like, so, you know, you got Julie Waters, you got Officer Carmine, you got these, you know, it's all, it's a story of a bunch of little people doing their part that unfolds this story. Like, that's, I think the, you know, at the end of it is John DeCamp that gets to tell the final story. But all these little stories that people filed and tucked away, you know, once you put it together, man, you're starting to see something very shady going on. And meanwhile, uh, John DeCamp, uh, while he was serving at Senator, uh, you know, was doing investigation into the Fra Franklin Credit Union, the bank itself. Now, this bank was said to only keep like two million dollars, you know, and, uh, you know, small loans is what they were handing out. And yet there was like uh, uh, a raid of the bank and they found a separate set of books. A 40 million. Well, it was 38 million dollars. 38 million dollars that had been funneled through this there's area. the truth there's the real story right there so there's some you know very serious allegations meanwhile nothing is going on with the government getting you know the state of nebraska wanting to touch this at all so finally after no action it isn't until uh July 89, they go to their local state senator, who's this old farmer dude. And, he, uh, you know, I didn't, I, I may have breezed through the part of the assembling of the, of the, the Franklin committee. So I don't know all the names and players of all the senators and all that stuff. I know the key players that were involved with it, but they form a Franklin committee to actually investigate what's going on with the Franklin Credit Union. And then they assign a subcommittee with John DeCamp, Lauren Schmidt, and then they hire Gary Caradori to go investigate this. And they tell him, don't bring us, no, don't bring us hearsay. Don't, you know, bring us stuff we can use. Because if this stuff is true, and we're getting reports from eight different kids, all of these same stories that are going on, and they're talking Chief of Police Bill, uh, uh, Bob Wadman is involved in this. He's reported at all these parties uh and then you're talking about uh alan bear uh i think that's his name uh baby and then you're talking about larry king who's this up and rising i mean can you matt you know how it is in the midwest to get on public television is huge and then to be assigned by the reagan to be head of the black vote of nebraska i mean that's a huge assignment from the president himself so these are no small fish to fry you know the omaha herald is a you know people still refer to the omaha herald you just nod your head back and forth may it's, it's like yeah, uh, yeah. I, I mean it's true though i mean what a break the omaha herald is is i think still around still a uh a prominent newspaper i mean 
I just it makes me sick. It makes me it's it's just it's gross. I mean, you know how how high up does this touch Reagan? Or is it just a little pawn in yeah. Reagan's whole big well according scheme to shit? Nellie Webb, she saw um she saw Bush Sr. uh twice, which was his VP. But I mean Reagan ran I mean Reagan he ran with Hollywood, man. Like I I wouldn't surprise it would not would not surprise me. You know, like I don't think I think he gets mentioned in here. I can't, but he's not like it's not like every day, you know, like hey, I was, you know, Reagan's sex boy, you know. But it's one of those things too where I think it was, well, let the good boys sort of have their fun, you know, get it out of their system, and then we'll go to work and do more good for the country than the bad those boys did last night to, you know, some orphan kids. It's just so weird how just it just they randomly pick a place, Omaha, Nebraska, you know, like, I mean. Well, like and then. I'm the middle of nowhere, though. Yeah, I, it's, but in the heart of, like, I mean, not the heart, but, like, mid the Midwest, where it just, you don't, you know, you don't think talk, of stuff like that. You I talked to a local uh, Nebraskan, uh, Jake. Jake's from Nebraska. And he was saying Omaha is is the uh trafficking and drug capital of the midwest like you you store your warehouse supply at omaha and then you distribute out from there like it's just the perfect you know you can go to colorado you can go to kansas city you can head up north hey uh, you- uh jack reacher had a little a couple books where it all funneled through i know it's jack reacher but i mean there was well that's you why know, because of this yeah yeah, I mean, Omaha was the the like you said, the spider web of of where you need to go. But if you have enough people that that don't believe something is going to happen, then that's almost the best place for something like that to happen, right? Like if everybody thinks that it doesn't happen, then even if it does, and somebody comes out and says it, then it would be easy to just say, no, that sort of thing doesn't happen around here. And for someone to be like, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Well, I mean, you remember, you remember, uh, what was it? Jeffrey Dahmer in Wisconsin. Well, and then what the clown killer in Iowa? Yeah, no, um, I'm, I'm talking about Jeffrey. Dom- wasn't that Jeffrey Dahmer in Wisconsin? The one the Netflix made the series about the he like eat. Yeah, he'd bring, uh, he'd bring people home and then. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. But remember, like they that one boy was drugged and escaped, and. Yep. Uh, and the cops got there and they're like, no, we were just, you know, we were just, uh, you know, we're lovers and stuff. And the cops were like so grossed out. They're like, oh, well, just, you know, whatever. And they didn't even oh, want yeah. to investigate it. And so they just walked away from it and then they mm-hmm. killed him. You know, they killed him later. Um, let me see here if I can. Did I just hear a beep? Let's hear a beep. browser has oh yeah um you guys can see me fine right 
I'm trying to. Uh, I, I want to pull up this video. So Gary, uh, get, we're at Gary Caradori, right? Gets assigned by the Franklin Committee. Go investigate this. Bring us some real stuff, right? He gets 271 witnesses to come uh, to you know talk to and interview, and we have some of those videos. And I wanted to play. You know, right now we're talking. It's you know, we've talked a little bit about like the devil worship stuff that they've done that uh, Loretta Smith has seen. Um, and then we've talked about these parties at North Omaha and talking about uh, Nellie getting flown out to D.C. to some of these high end parties. But now Gary Caradori is on this case and he's trying to, um, you know, find some credible witnesses. Uh, let me pull up. Share screen. Um, right here. There we go. Make sure you guys. I don't know why it always goes to that view. It's like a uh, Streamyard hates me. Um, we're gonna go with uh, this is Paul Bonacci. Uh, Supposedly, uh, this abuse started when he was um, six years old. Um, and the audio is a little rough to hear. So if you guys have any questions about what he says, uh, let me know. But this is his account of one of the many dozens of trips he took with Larry King in his private jet to all different places in, uh, uh, in the United States. Uh, this one was to El uh, Sacramento. They had him in the cage and stuff. That lured him there. The kid. The kid what, did he cry? Yeah. At that point? That's all he did was cry the whole time? They didn't knock. Did anybody ever slap him and tell him to quit crying? So they're talking about once they landed, they, you know, found some kid, you know, playing on the street, and they just grabbed him. Right? Yeah, they slapped him a lot. And did he quit crying? He started to, and then I started talking to him. And thought it was going to be all right, and that we weren't going like, to, nobody's going to hurt him. And I, I tried to tell him nobody's going to hurt him. But he never believed me. And after a while, I didn't even believe him. But they had us. Took him out of the cage and stuff, and they let him run. We were supposed to chase him down. How big of a cage were you? Probably about five by five feet. So is this a small cage? It's a small cage. And when you say we, who are you talking about? We didn't let him They let this. They let. They let him out of the cage. And how many people were present? There was me, Nicholas, the boy, Archie, the pilot. Um, pilot was producer, there too? The pilot was there too. Producer, and there was about four other people there that were filming this. And what they, were doing, what they had us do is they had their camera set so they let them out so they could run. They had us chase them down. 
They told us they were chasing him down. They were chasing him down. They were supposed to chase him down. And then we were supposed to drag him back. We were both figured he was to burn him. And so we drug him down after he started running. We dragged him around and stuff. How far did you chase him? About 20 feet. That's it? Okay, so you caught him and what did you do? Knock him down or what? Knock him down and we drug him back up to where the cage is at and stuff. How did you drag him? I grabbed his legs and then he grabbed his arms and just sort of kind of carried him back up and kind of dragged him a bit. Was he kicking, screaming? He was kicking and screaming. And what was he saying? Saying, please don't hurt me. Did you hear him, Paul? Did you hear him, Paul? What did you do, Paul? I didn't tell him to do. Huh? I didn't tell him to do. What did you do, Paul? I slept with him. Okay. Now, you were used to having sex with people, right? Something else must have happened then when you fall. This crying and I saw him. He's telling me to. You alright? I told the guys, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. Do it or else. I will finish you too. Who, who's telling you to fall? I, I just want to say, I'm the whole time. I don't know if you can you hear what's going on here. I mean, it's kind of hard yeah. to listen to, but yeah, yeah, you can hear it. Uh, the whole time, you know, they've got this kid they picked up in a cage, and um, you know, they've been beating him the whole time because he won't stop crying, and then they put him in a cage, and there's some sort of film director there. And like five or six other people there. And uh, they are recording the whole time. And they tell him and this other kid to open up the cage, let the kid run, and then tackle him. And uh, and then, uh, you know, rape him. Uh, and then, um, um, yeah, so that's, you know, and then they get the other kid to rape him. And then someone else rapes him all the whole time. Someone's recording. And this was the trips Larry King would take these kids on, you know, 12. I didn't hear him mention Larry King's name though. Ten, well, it's so, okay. Well, we'll keep, we'll keep playing just so you can, you know, watch. The Did you do this or were you kidding too? Do what, Paul? Do what? Just screw the kid. Okay, so you screw the kid, then what happened? The necklace screw the kid too? Yeah. Something's not telling me, Paul. Yeah. That's another guy came in. We didn't know about it. 
that Nicholas didn't know what was going to go on next. This guy came in and started kicking the shit out of Nicholas, and he started trying to kick the shit out of me. He started beating on the kid. He started beating on me. Who started beating on This guy that was the film crew that he came in and started having sex with this kid. Okay. Waiting for more. Okay. You okay? And then, then you kind of him around. Are you in the cage? You start dragging him around. He kept dragging the kid around, he was still having sex with him. He's just tossing this kid around like he was a bag of potatoes or something. He starts swelling them all over the place. Then he came back and he started kicking the shit out of me again. He started kicking my head. I started to do something to hit with a stick. Right down the hall. Take the fucking back. Then he took, he took me and Nicholas and shoved us in the cage. Then he took this kid and he sat there and sat him up. Sat him up. Right next to the cage, ready. I kept telling yo, the guy saw us and killed him if I got a hold of him. I said, no, he just shot him. You what? Shot him. Shot him in his head. So much after they did that stuff, they opened the cage, they grabbed Nicholas, and they scared me to death. So they took him and they drug him over into the woods and stuff. I heard a couple of shots. I thought they killed him too.
Anyway, he goes on and he does mention in there, uh, it was Larry King. He flew in with Larry King and um, he flew in with Larry King on that trip. He had also known uh, a few other kids at Garadori uh, finds in, um, in this case as well. So, I mean, this is, you know, this is unfolding. Can you imagine being uh, Gary and. Yeah, so that kid's what, going to go to prison for partaking in this when he was a, a puppet at the end of, like, that's all he really was. Uh, molested three children. That's what he was sitting in jail for. But, I mean, under, he didn't do it on his, you know what I mean? He did it, it was him or them, in a sense, you know, which doesn't make it right, but. Well, I, mean, I mean, so there's interesting. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because you have to understand the perspective of these kids. If they're starting at six, five years old, and this is what they see, and this is what they're rewarded for, you know, they get money, they get to fly around and meet rich people, you know, they just, you know, and this is part of it, you know, they have to do this part too, and, you know, and then like, it's like almost like there's, you know, they get exposed to more and more sick fucks, you know, you know, and they get flown out to Hollywood and, you know, some sick director goes, I wonder, you know, I, I kudos to Gary Gary Dory for, you know, being able to keep composure and ask questions, you know, that, right. you know, like I, you know, I don't, I don't think I could do it. I don't think I could do that, you know, and then, and that, and that's not it. I mean, he meets uh Troy Boner, uh, who also there's, I mean, there's video files of this and I'll, you know, put the link in the show notes. Uh, and then, uh, there's Alicia's testimony. I mean, you can find these on YouTube and, uh, you know, there's, it's interesting, you know, just, to say on the side, it's interesting. Uh, John DeCamp mentioned this in an interview. He said when he released this book, he was expecting to get sued and no one sued him. The only lawsuit that came was he when he sued North Carolina for saying that his book was um, um, uh, based on lies and won that lawsuit. North Carolina just sued him out of the out of like the blue, or does he go into? detail about north carolina well north carolina he sues them because they had book had been released and they happened to have bob wadman the former chief of police of omaha working there as a chief of police oh. and they exploded as saying the book was nonsense and so they reported it as nonsense and it's interesting because he was hoping for a lawsuit because when you're when you get a lawsuit, what does that open you up to? Discovery. 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 <laughs> so no one sued John yeah. DeCamp. He was he put it out there. He was like, come get it, come this get guy it. Is throwing names, names everywhere. And he's got you can get the book. I highly encourage you to buy it. Uh we got the PDF, but there's pictures and documents and all of these things that show the correspondence between 
you know, King and Boys Town and, you know, just all of this stuff that's going on, showing that there's these connections. And this is all being this. The whole reason this is getting compiled is so that it can go before a grand jury and they can go, hey, we've got this evidence, you know. And now, you know, it's starting to fall on the chief of police. He's being mentioned at these parties. And so John DeCamp, when he's approached by uh, Lauren Schmidt, the senator, he's like, who do I who do I go to when, the, you know, he doesn't say who he's like, but when someone powerful is in, you know, dealing with some corruption, who do I go to to talk to about it? And John DeCamp goes, yeah, you know, you go to the person that obviously has a way more authority over him and obviously you know like like above his rank you know out of his jurisdiction you know whatever it is he can't be in the same jurisdiction and so schmidt goes well i'll I'll talk to the head of the fbi of that region which is o'hara or you know some irish fuck's name and uh and so um he goes but i want you john DeCamp, to come with me as my personal lawyer to this meeting. And uh, John DeCamp goes, yeah, I'll go, but I want you to talk to him first without me there. So he goes in there, they talk for like an hour, and then John comes in. And uh, (laughs) they go, we think there might be some impropriety going on with your chief of police here in Omaha. And the FBI guy goes, "Uh, if you feel like there is anything dishonorable about Chief O'Hara, uh, of the police department here in Omaha, consider it as a straight affront to the FBI. Now, why don't you gentlemen sit down and tell me what your names uh, are, your full names are, your date of birth? Like, gave them, he said at that moment he knew he had made a mistake at going, <laughs> at going to the regional office in Omaha, which is interesting because, you know, FBI didn't want. And then they actively participated. They couldn't want any part in it because they were deep into it, protecting and middling too. I mean, you could tell right off of that where where they both knew, oh, we fucked up. Uh, we, we shouldn't have went in here. We should have well, probably went higher. Yes. Yeah. But I can't find like any documentation. Now they do talk about like some, uh, some impropriety among some of the officers in the FBI, like guy peeing into another cop's mouth. Um, and then like when investigated the, 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 you know, the, it was waved and said, you know, he accidentally peed into the guy's mouth, like word for word. How do you what accidentally? You... Oh, Hey, sorry. My bad, John. Yeah. My bad. John, I told you quit laying by the urinals. I told you. Like, uh, and what? you know, like keeping gay porn magazine a lot of a lot of gay stuff going on here um you know and so there's you know and they claim that they were using it for evidence and you know the investigator was like getting in the like you know in the scene to you know get into it you know it's just weird but like other officers that like got shipped out of that department claimed like hey there's some some creepy fucks anyway uh alicia hall you know, she talks about getting shipped all over, um, over three dozen times, um, you know, well, in, you know, starting at like 11 um, and then participating when she got her uh, first period uh, requested. So like sought out after, you know, someone requested that. 
um yeah like you know like hey we want this and this and a girl what you know yeah so just really like and it becomes more and more apparent that larry king um is uh like is he a headmaster in this whole thing or is he just a a piece he's he's sort of like he is the is he the uh, omaha mecca i guess distributor he's the distributor you know and he's got a bunch of like different little clients where he picks kids up from that's what it feels like it's like a collection like hey you know i need to collect prostitutes for these parties because he's known for throwing parties that election or that uh that video where he's singing the national anthem they they talk about how huge the party was he hosted after that like a huge party and so like that's sort of his standard so it makes sense where this 40 million is getting cycled through you know like he's providing parties places for people to meet get to know each other build a little dirt if you have to on some people you know just to keep them in line for that next vote and uh you know and so on and so forth and it, it seems like he's sort of like the midwest you know republican you know that's his job is it, it feels like like the pre-epstein where like you know it wasn't just republicans but you know it was definitely since he was involved with that party all of those people that were into that from that party knew larry king and went to larry king parties you know, it's always funny about those people like, well, I heard Larry King was like into little boys, you know, or I heard so and so like, you know, like fucked up, like fucking them young, you know. You know? I mean, countless accounts of that. Um, but I I want to get back into uh Kathleen Sorensen, the foster mom that took some of these kids in. And I just like uh, want to show you her account because she was going to be uh, or she is uh, they're going to make her a witness to this um, uh, presentation before the grand jury. And this is her testimony to the Franklin Committee. Um, and when the, when Gary Caridori goes to interview her. And so let me see here. I'm just literally struggling. I can cover it. Uh, there we go. All right. So right here, this is her account of what uh, of what she saw. Um, there we go. So talking about. Uh, all of these children that's been uh, through her foster care. She said, these children from a very young age, and I'm talking about children who came out of birth homes, the family they were born to worship the devil. That's all I can share. And I don't pretend to be an expert. All I can tell you, now this is, you know, you know, think about these people. These are not like, these Blair, Nebraska, corn-fed, roast potatoes. Uh, all I can tell you is what the children have told me. My husband and I say, we know things we probably shouldn't know um so she goes into some of the accounts of of what uh what she ran into here um on let's see here page 248 all right so um 
first story is about two little boys who were seven and nine when uh, they talked. They told about sexual abuse at one point. Uh, we talked about good and bad touching, and we felt like we had gotten to the bottom of it. Uh, then later that afternoon, the little one began to cry. When we couldn't get an answer from him, the older brother said he is probably crying because he was in the room when they killed his friend. That was the first one we knew about. And as they described that, they talked about that particular victim being brought into a room, hands and arms tied, mouth taped, and how there had been X's marked on his body, on his vital organs. That was bad enough. Within a few weeks, we learned that it was not the adults who had killed the child. It was this oldest boy who was talking. The next person we talked to was a little boy who was very borderline mentally. He had language problems, and it was hard for him to explain himself. Everyone was startled at the way he talked. We were real sure. Uh, we knew he had not been around these other children or heard anything, but we began to uh, move this over here. question ourselves. Are we asking strange questions? Is something odd about us which make children come and dump these things on us? The part which made me believe the child's story. He talked about different babies being killed, but in this particular one being stabbed. He curled up in a fetal position. He was nine when he was telling the story. He said they cooked that baby. I mean, doesn't this give you like, uh, like, uh, Molech vibes? Yeah. Like, this is fucking straight up Molech vibes. He curled up in a fetal position. His eyes got real glazed. He said they cooked that baby on the grill. Oh, it was gross. It smelled like rotten chicken or rotten deer. He then went on to talk about how they cut out the sex organs to worship them later. Uh, he talked about throwing, uh, listen to this. I asked him uh, where the bodies went. I did not get any answers from the child about what happened to the bodies. But the other two boys who I spoke about first eventually talked about throwing the babies in the fire. And I asked about that. You mean they were dead when you threw them in the fire? No, no. Them was alive. Them, them threw them. Them was alive and them threw them. And by this time, we were getting really freaked out. It's like, where do you find it? Where do you find a therapist who can deal with this? Uh, the next child said that uh, she was nine when she first started talking about the killings. So they're like six years old, six, five years old. Um, they talk about how uh, uh, she began to draw pictures of cats and all the cats had tails that were on the other side of the page. Or the leg was someplace else. And we began to work with her and talk. And she said she had to kill a pregnant cat. She said uh, that she had to kill a pregnant. Uh, she first said that they had killed a pregnant cat. We said, well, how do you know it was pregnant? Well, she could not explain that. But as we got into it, she confessed that she had to kill the cat. When I asked her. Um, when I asked her. Her description was, with a knife, I just put it in her bottom and twisted. Now, you tell me, how does a kid know that? And then it just goes on to just, they had it uh, live kids. And, I mean, it's just, it's, what the it's non yeah, it's nonstop. This is what the Franklin Committee is discovering. This is what Gary, I, Car I'm sorry, this is what Gary Caradori 
is witnessing. You know what I mean? Like he's going in there and he's like, I wonder what Gary Carter like till his last dying breath, like having to live with this, having to deal with. Like I couldn't. Like I just. This makes me sick to my fucking stomach. Like, and you think like, I'm trying to think when all this was going on, like there weren't that many movies or they weren't making stuff out there. Like, you know, where you could get these ideas from, like, you know, you could blame it on the kids being like nowadays, Oh, they saw it on YouTube. You know, they saw it on this. Like back then I like, I'm not thinking there was a ton of footage and stuff out there like that where like, you could be Listen, like, ah, talk well, about maybe that stuff whatsoever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and it was you know during the without whole seeing it. Yeah, yeah, and, you, and that wasn't that during the whole satanic panic movement too. Like, I mean, I was just born while we were. What are we? Know, we're we're in eighty nine now, so I have no idea. And you know, it's not just this. There's tons of evidence. I mean, there's just there's tons. Absolutely tons of evidence. So, trial's coming up. Uh, the date for the trial is July 23rd, 1990. All of this evidence has been compiled. And Gary Caridori uh, is got, you know, like I said, over 270 pieces of you know, individual witness testimony. There's several kids on tape saying Larry King and these other high-end officials. This is all the be, you know, all documented, being documented as a process of information that's being found out from child services and this report from Julie Waters in Boys Town and this account from Officer Carmian. And now you've got, you know, witnesses like Paul, you know, I forget what his name is, Bellucci or Bucci or whatever. And, Paul Bonacci and Alicia Owens and um, and Tony Boner and you know, like, you know and I was only it's such a hard name to ah god damn it um, so anyway <laughs> so so god damn it so uh, I went almost this whole um, so anyway all this evidence comes to, uh, compiled and. Uh, Court's coming up. Gary's got it all put in now. Uh, he's going to go to Chicago uh, with his boy to go to the All-Stars game. And then after that, uh, they're going to hit the courts. And as he's in Chicago uh, with his boy, he calls uh, a member of the Franklin Committee. And he tells them he has found a, a piece of evidence that will blow the whole fucking thing open. And if you remember, all of these rapes, all of these parties are being recorded and all that information is being stoked. And the belief was, is that, do you remember Rusty Nelson, the photographer that disappeared? It disappeared to Chicago. Ooh. Gary Caridori had met up with Rusty Nelson. Now, this part is speculative. We don't know that for sure. That is the belief. What we do know is that Gary Caradori called the Franklin Committee and said he had something that was going to blow the whole thing open that they were not going to be able to refute. To me, that sounds like photographic evidence, yeah. videotapes, negatives, all of that stuff was stored, you know, because Rusty Nelson developed that film on his own. 
you know, so he kept all the negatives to those parties. So that's, you know, and it could be, like I said, that little part is speculative, but we do know he went there to Chicago on his way back home. Now he had his own uh, pilot's license on his way back home. Uh, the plane blows up and he dies with his son. Oh, oh shit. Convenient. Yeah, what the fuck? See, I thought he'd die, would die of old age. They take this motherfucker out. Uh, it the all impact, this to bring down a bank in Omaha. The impact of the crash implicates that the plane broke apart midair. They don't know how it broke apart midair. And after thorough investigation by the FBI, it was decided inconclusive. Because the FBI and, and CIA. Do you know anything about plane failures? Like, they study that shit nonstop. Like, they want to know why a plane fails. So it doesn't happen. You know? But this day, I don't know what happened here. Uh, also, his briefcase was missing from plane wreckage. So. Of course it was. Um, uh, so now, with all these witnesses and without their lead investigator, the Franklin Committee goes to court and on July 23rd, 1990. 12 days after the sudden death of Gary Caradori, the Douglas County Grand Jury, as reported by the Omaha World Herald, trumpeted, Grand Jury says abuse stories were a carefully crafted hoax. What the fuck? <laughs> uh, so, uh, not... Not only do they say it is a carefully crafted hoax, um, before being able to testimony, Kathleen Sorensen died in a head-on car collision with two other guys that were driving the other vehicle um, that had been picked up on animal, animal abuse charges, several animal abuse charges. Pawns. So Kathy was the one that was doing the interviewing, right? From yeah, the, she was into boys she town. Was, no, Kathleen Sorensen was the foster mom that was describing those stories of having oh, shit, telling yeah. them that they killed cats and you know, what killed babies. Fuck? Yeah. I mean, they had a story where like they would get all the kids in a church on Christmas, and on Christmas Day they would have this big par party, and then everyone would be given a knife and they'd bring in a baby. And then they would all cut the baby and then they'd give the knife to the kids and then the kids would cut the baby till it died. And uh, they would celebrate that because that was the symbolic death of Jesus Christ. Instead of Christ being born on that day, he dies that day. They kill an infant baby. So like she said that for like 10 of these foster kids that came through, this was the hardest like time of the year for them because they would just hear kids screaming in their ears because it'd be an infant crying as it got slashed to death. They didn't just kill the baby softly. They slashed it. So th she dies 1989 before, uh, <laughs> before uh, by a, a freak head on car collision where two kids are known for rampant animal abuse. And the, um, yeah, the, uh, the grand jury, decides that there is no <clears throat> this is a quote 
They have cleared Larry King of child abuse. We found no credible evidence of child sexual abuse, interstate transportation of minors, drug trafficking, or participation in pornography ring by King or other Franklin officials or employees. To the extent that homosexual relations occurred, having such employees or officials, the evidence we were able to uncover showed these exchanges to be voluntary acts between persons above the age of consent. Uh, that's not it, gentlemen. That's not it. They then charge Alicia Owens and Paul Bonacci for perjury and sentence Alicia Owens to 25 years in prison for false testimony, Paul Bonacci to 13. The other two witnesses that were going to appear to that case recant their testimony. Um, Are they, they still do... alive? We'll get to that here in a minute. Oh, okay. Just giving you a... I can't this... believe that this all just ties into... <laughs> Uh, we started with a with a terrible school shooting, and now we're into some fucking not turning stomach. Ugh, oh my god! Yeah, I don't know. I'm this is not lost. where I thought we were going there, Corey. Is... I neither did I, man. I mean, really, neither did fucking I. I didn't want to go here. So this you know? leads to like these two boys getting like getting fucked, and then they decide to shoot a school. In 1999, because of this Franklin stuff. Yeah, this was oh. crazy. You know how I keep mentioning this is the updated book, the 2004 edition. You know how I keep mentioning that. There's a reason. Is because in his preface that he writes for the book, he takes that whole page and a half and dedicates it to the shooting in Columbine and how the cover up he experienced here. And we're not even done. I mean, like, um, I'm. Let me just go to. 15 people die uh, in the process of this investigation. Um, and they have a list here. Bill Baker, restaurant owner in Omaha, partner of Larry King in homosexual pornography operations, found shot back in the head, back of the head. Sean Boner, brother of victim witness, Troy Boner. He died of a gunshot wound from Russian roulette. Um. Gary Caradori, we talked about him. Airplane blew up. Uh, his boy, who was eight at the time, also died. Of course, these guys didn't care. You know, these guys didn't care about uh, nope. kids whatsoever. So that didn't bother them to just, you know. Um, and then we have uh, Claire Howard. This is interesting. Remember Alan Bear, the, uh, the semi-pro hockey owner? Right, his his secretary dies. Um, she supposedly arranged Bear's pedophile tryst. She died in her sleep in '91. Mike Lewis was a former caregiver for victim witness Loretta Smith. Remember the girl in the insane asylum? He died of a severe diabetic reaction at age 32. Uh, this guy uh, died from a gunshot, ruled as a suicide. Joe Malek, Aaron Owen, who was the brother of Alicia Owens, who got sentenced to 25 years in prison, was found hanged in his cell in Lincoln, Nebraska, hours before one of her sister's court appearances. 
Uh, of course, these are all coincidences. Charlie Rogers, a homosexual partner of Larry King, uh, said he feared for his life, has had his head blown off with a shotgun. It's ruled a suicide. Dan Ryan was strangled, suffocated in the car. He was associate of Larry King. Bill Skolaski, you guys mentioned him. He had a heart attack. Kathleen Sorensen, foster parent for Nellie and Kimberly. After they fled from uh, Larry King's relatives, uh, the car crash we talked about. Uh, Curtis Tucker, he jumped out of a window or fell, depending on which Putin you ask. Uh, Harmon Tucker, the school superintendent in Nebraska and Iowa. Uh, his death had signs of satanic ritual murder. He was found dead in Georgia near the plantation where Harold Anderson and Nebraska, Iowa FBI chief Nicholas O'Hara used for hunting. Uh, you remember old Bob Wadman? Um, He's now a professor of criminal justice in Ogden, Utah. You don't say. Really? That's the, uh, yeah, that's the Franklin cover-up. So, what the fuck? Larry King, he's alive? What's he, what, like, where, where? What street does he travel? I tell you what, that is a hard is that, name. You know what's interesting? That's a that hard part name three? to Google. It's yeah. just a hard name to Google. Like, I don't, you know, I think he's dead. I'm pretty sure he's dead, but like, I'm not positive, you know, because it's not like, hey, Larry King, that guy that, uh, yeah, you know, it's like, it's almost That's like gonna it's going to be scrubbed. Of, yeah. It's almost like it's sort of buried, you know? Yeah, scrubbed. Yep, scrub. Even on DuckDuckGo, I couldn't find anything. But Larry King could be a very, you know, Lawrence King is a very popular name too. But you would think Lawrence King Sr., you know, went to prison for bank fraud. I mean, he did go to prison for bank. He did get 15 years in prison. So, you know, the justice system worked. worked. (laughs) What prison did he go to? Can you check the records of? I'm sure I could, but, you know. It's like, yeah. I, what am I going to do? Go talk good, to her. Good riddance. Yeah, fuck. Yeah. Good riddance. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Um, yeah. So, I, I mean, it's uh, it's pretty, you know, it just, it had like strong, you know, had strong Molech vibes with some of these stories. You know, I remember very much the sacrificing of animals when I was a kid in a vermilion. Uh, at the college there, there's a little Satanist cult there, and they would, you know, they they'd have warnings like, "Hey, you know, maybe good weekend to keep pets inside if you got little dogs." You know, <laughs> that's why, that's why, because they would take these animals and then sacrifice them. You know, and it's interesting too that they used little little children. I mean, think about that. You're being celebrated for doing grotesque things, so then you know, you think that's okay. That's a good thing. You know, it's, it's horrible manipulation. And and this happened in 93. And, I mean, in a sense, it has done quite some good. Because look at, he mentioned in, two, in, his, uh, in his book, you know, when this was hushed, 
and now it's sung from the rafters of political offices and it's sung from the rafters of <clears throat> you know the media like anyone who participates in child porn is just disgusting and you know but then you know i i would love to have seen his reaction to epstein island being exposed but i would i would love to have talked to him about how how they felt about the cover-up <laughs> you know because man doesn't that have similar vibes all those documents are sealed yeah it's almost like the modern day of that i mean it's It's like they just, it's a rinse and repeat, you know, like, oh, hey, we dusted this off in the early 90s or whatever the, whatever this terrible thing. Now let's, let's throw it back, you know, let's do it again. Ugh. And just whoever gets in power gets to, you know, gets yeah. to do it. Yeah. It's I like, mean, hey, what what were you a fan of? Oh well, um, the Franklin cover up, the Franklin, the the bank in Omaha. Yeah, I liked how that turned out. Let's do that again. Jesus, they were doing what? That sounds great. No, no. I mean, I mean, that's just some. And they said there was several people that would record that shit in Hollywood, and then they'd show it at these Satan parties, you know, and you know, like it just it's. You Too know, bad Alex Jones never talked on this. That'd be well, this has got to be, yeah. I mean, I reached out to John DeCamp's daughter. And uh, she has a law firm in Omaha uh, helping civil injustice. So I say, you know, I don't, you know uh, I was like, hey, I, I the phone call, I wish I would have recorded it. It had been like, I was like, I was a little nervous, you know, because I sort of like this John DeCamp guy, you know, even though there's some real interesting history with the CIA that I'm curious about. But nonetheless, I mean, he sounds like a goddamn hero in this case, what he did. And so, you know, I want to, like, get his daughter's perspective on how she felt about her dad, you know, especially since she's a lawyer. Uh, and so, like, I called the office, secretary answered. And I'm like, yeah, I was wondering if I could talk to Tara DeCamp. And they're like, oh, yeah, she's in. I may ask who's calling. I'm like, oh, this is Corey with Phantom Packs. And they're like, uh, oh, uh, can I ask the reason of the call? I'm like, well, I wanted to talk to her about John DeCamp, you know, about, you know, the work he did and, uh, you know, her experience living with that. And he's like, okay, well, she's actually busy right now. Oh, shit. Can we call you back at this number? I was like, yeah, that's fine. And I never got a call back. So, damn. I know. So you call back and you're like, hey, uh, you know, it's been a couple days. <laughs> well, you know, and he went on to cover like Columbine and these other like high risk situations. And he, I was curious if maybe there was like some maybe bitterness, you know, because like, you know, obviously they were kids and, you know, this is it's not the most safe situation to be in, especially when you're going after people who hunt kids, you yeah. know, like it's rough. It's a rough job. I wonder job. if she's ever spoken on it publicly i would you know i might i sent her an email today <clears throat> i don't want to push it you know but <clears throat> yeah we know, don't I, need people knocking on your well i you know i'm just sorry you know it's interesting you know like it's you know this guy put a lot of work into it and then 
And then, you know, his link to Columbine, which is interesting. A lot of the, you know, I don't know if it's just placement, but, you know, there's uh, definitely pedophilia going on in Littleton. Uh, definitely some abuse that John DeCamp believes has happened to Eric Harris. And uh, 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 was his name? Tyler. Uh, was his name? Tyler Dillenbold or something like that. Yeah. Something, yeah. But he believes there was some sexual abuse going on by position of power. And we do know that there was, you know, a known pedophile in, uh, in the uh, school system at that time. And we know that the principal and Bill Clinton had a weird relation. And we know that all of those forms that John DeCamp had got seized just like it did, you know, when uh, he brought up this Franklin cover-up. What are you looking at, May? I was just looking um, about the, there was the, what do they call it out there in um, Colorado? The the pedo patrol out in Jefferson County. Oh, yep. Yeah, the ones that go out and find the guys that are talking to kids. Yeah. Those are, man, those are awkward to watch. I mean, yeah. kudos to them, kudos to them, but like you have to have an amazing amount of self control. Yeah. But they don't call the cops, right? I don't think so. No, I think they, they do more of like a put you on blast kind of thing. But, um, cause that's what, that's what the wife was telling me about how, um, when I was telling her about this whole thing that, to look into that that pedal patrol because I didn't know that 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 was such a rampant thing uh, in Jefferson County in Colorado. I was well, when you yeah. brought it up the other day. I was like, "Oh shit!" I did not know that. So yeah, yeah. Well, that's I mean that's the Franklin cover up. I know Clemens had to leave there. Uh, it's a oh, little okay. longer, little longer show than we're normally used to, but it's a lot to cover too, and it's a lot to like explain and not make it sound absolutely insane. Yeah. I mean, it's insane. So, and there's it's no way. To, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, and that's the crazy thing. Cause we both have kids and it's like, what, what separates us from them? You know, why isn't it, you know, what, like, it's our biggest fear as parents is you're like, Oh my God. Like I, I couldn't imagine. And then, but you don't know if, you know, some of these kids are given away freely, like for the whole sacrifice thing to hope to God, they get a better future or, you know what it is. It's just, they called them power meetings because you get power from them. Yeah. And that's like, man, that's just those. And it's interesting in the documentary, uh, that was going to be published on Discovery up to the week. It was on to the TV TV guide, and then got deleted. And uh, you know, I told you about this, right? Where yeah. it got deleted. Um, uh, they don't talk about any of the Satan stuff. And I'm and I'm curious. We're going to have the guy that made that video on uh, next week, um, and real respected and investigated journalist. Very like does not like conspiracies. He made that very clear in the email. He's like, I'm not a fan of conspiracies in any way, but that's good 
Because I just, you know, he went there for, I think, like eight weeks and investigated this whole Omaha thing in 93. Like, he's way closer to it than we were. And so he's going to come on the show and, like, we can ask him questions about his gut feeling about. Because there are some strong claims about some of these kids. Now, according to John DeCamp, you know, the best way to make a kid seem like they're not... um reliable in court is to say they're psychotic or have a mental disorder or you know it completely invalidates their you know their story if you say something like that yeah and he said that that's you know that tactic was definitely used on paul bonacci on alicia owens you know they you know they wanted well, to even make- that 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 foster mom she said that there was a couple of them or or that she felt like had she didn't fuck come out and say it, but you know, you could read, if you read it, it's, you know, talking about delays or, you know, problems. So like you said, yeah, it's an easy way to write it right off and be like, Oh no, there's something wrong with that kid. So, well, and I mean like that's, I mean, if you, so you're telling me it's a carefully crafted hoax with a bunch of insane kids. Or it's either a bunch of insane kids have all similar stories. Yeah, it's. I mean, I think it's, it's the similar. It's the similar stories. I think they all went through it, you know. And it's just if you get enough people together, um, you and, it all, and it all matches, you're just gonna think like it's almost too crazy to believe. You're just gonna be like. Well, but the 18th time you hear it, you're like, okay, what in the fuck? What? What did we? Fi- what did we stumble upon? Because I don't want no part of it. I mean, have you heard about this secret Nebraska group called Arcaban? No. It's Nebraska spelt backwards, and it's like a KKK half Satan worship, half KKK thing. Yes, and it's 150 years old. It's the since the start of the state of Nebraska. Yeah, See, I, don't, I don't like any of this because I, I just, ugh. I fear like Tom, Tom Osborne's name is going to come up or like Warren Buffett, like they, you know. Well, just, and it makes sense about Joe Pa and yeah. Jerry Sandusky. Like this is not, it was not hidden. It was just looked the other way. Well, yeah, yeah. And so it went all the way up to, every, you know, all these institutions, you know, like. There was a great movie they made about these, like, I forget. What did what you call it? The Nebraska what? Because I need to ask my stepmom. Just Nebraska spelled backwards. Arkham, okay. Ar- I forget how it's pronounced now. It's fucking stupid. Of course, they would leave it to a secret, stupid Satan cult in Nebraska. And you're like, hey, we'll just we'll, we'll spell it backwards. Spell backwards. Everyone can remember that. You yeah. remember that, Harold? Yep. So, and it was a, it's a, uh, a cult or a yeah it was like well it, was sort of, it gave me like it like they all dressed as like these egyptians sort of you know but like with uh, there's pictures of it in the book so like um i'm and i'm gonna put the book in the archives the pdf so everyone can see it um but like there's pictures of uh you know what these fuckers look like and uh yeah i, I mean that's, I mean, that's the Franklin cover-up. I don't know. That's, that's where we went from Columbine to this. Has she yeah. heard of it? 
Oh, I'm just, I'll, I'll, I don't know. I'll ask her tomorrow. I'll text her to see. Okay. Yep. Throwback Thursday. Yep. Ark in the breast. So next week. So we know there's something at Columbine. I feel like. So next week we're going to uh, interview Tim Tate. Nine o'clock on Sunday. Oh, okay. So, and I'm going to share the link so you can watch the video as he made it and edited it. So you can, you know, any questions you want, uh, you can ask him. Um, sounds like a very pleasant gentleman. Love we'll be on our best behavior. Yeah, for sure. Okay. All right. All right. Oh, yeah. uh, well, um, sorry for the downer. I figured this was a better as an evening show. Oh, for sure. Sunday morning show. Yeah, you're so right. I'm glad we chose to do this at fucking nighttime. <laughs> well, until uh, until next Sunday, nine o'clock. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Yeah.